Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. But before we get started this morning, I do, I know a lot of folks probably look at the people that get up and you hear this kind of same retort or, or whatnot, but I do give honor to our leadership in the church, pastor, as well as Brother Roberts. Every time we get to teach and preach um, or speak in any capacity, it's an honor, and we don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, but I just want to give them thanks for being able to speak again. I also give honor to my wife. I love you, baby. Thank you. So now that my brownie points are out of the way, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can stand this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Youth group, it's good to see you all this morning. Good to see you all. Thank you. Someone is good to see me. I like it. I like the call and response I feel this morning already. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 21. Sort of a lengthy passage of scripture this morning that I'm going to read, but we can get our church uh, exercise in for a moment and stand. If you're there with me this morning, can you say amen? amen. It says, then Peter, then came Peter to him. And said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times, he asked. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. 490, if you're counting. I told you Wednesday, I like math. Um, 490 times, Jesus said. In verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children to also be sold, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But this same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion upon thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother 
their trespasses. Amen. Would you bow your head this morning and pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, I pray today, Lord, God, as we sit in this Sunday school hour, God, would you challenge us, Lord? God, would you help us, God, to be more like you today? I pray that in your name, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I know Brother Roberts has been doing a series on the Beatitudes, and I think there's one more lesson, so there is one more uh, week where he's going to do that series. He did ask me to maybe continue it, but I thought he's doing such a great job. I'm going to let him finish that up. But recently, during the month of May, in the actual hyphen class, in the multipurpose room, we've been talking about the topic of grace. And I felt led this morning to kind of continue with that theme. So hyphen folks, if you're in here, you may hear some of the familiar inputs we talked about. But I also want to delve into the topic of forgiveness. And so I have two ideas this morning that I would kind of pose to get in your minds to think about as we talk about this lesson. And the first thing is, if we're expected to grow in grace and become more like Jesus, that's what we're all supposed to do, right? If we're supposed to do that, what impact does our willingness to forgive have on that process? If we don't forgive someone, how does that impede our walk with God? Do we become more like him if we hold on to that thing? Or should we be willing to forgive others that trespass against us? And the second question I have this morning is, is it possible to forgive and forget? I want to let that sink in for a moment. A lot of times we know we're supposed to forgive, but we say, I ain't going to forget. Mm. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget what you did. Right? Anybody? Or y'all all so holy that, oh, I'll just forget about it. You can hit me one time and I'll, mm, I'll just forgive, forget about it. No, is it possible to forgive and forget, or do we separate the two? And so the title of today's lesson, I'm sorry I don't have a PowerPoint this morning, but I simply want to talk about grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness. How many of you like grace? Show of hands. Who doesn't like grace? Anybody? Anybody glad when someone shows grace to you? How many of you are willing to show grace to someone else, though? Everybody, you being honest this morning? We're in church now. Brother Robert says, be honest. Do you like showing grace to someone? When that person cuts you off on the way to church, do you show grace? Do you just say, oh, go ahead, you can have it? Or do you step on that accelerator just a little bit more or put your hand on that horn, right? Grace. A lot of people categorize grace as Getting more than you do deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. But grace kind of goes a step beyond that and you get more than you deserve. Grace is also defined as the free and unmerited favor of God. And I want to stress that word free. It's free. You can't earn the grace of God. You can't buy it for a price. You cannot purchase grace. Not from the Lord. How many of you have ever tried? You tried to earn grace. How'd that turn out for you when you tried your hardest to earn it? I think it's a fruitful exercise, but a lot of times we find ourselves trying to earn the grace from the Lord. Many, 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 I say many, many, many people have this idea that they can earn it. 
It's a completely kind of off-center, off-base idea, but I imagine at some point in time, all of us in our walk with God have tried to earn it. Or maybe you're even today having this misplaced idea and understanding right now, and maybe you've been spinning in place trying to earn the grace of God, but I've come to let you know that it's free. You know, we try to use the good to outweigh the bad. How many of you have children where that child does something bad? But I did, I, I washed my, I, I, I cleaned my room today, you know? That means I can get a snack. Well, no, you did something wrong the other day. You're, you're still not allowed to get it. But just like children, we try to take that same approach to God sometimes. If we messed up, we try to fix the mess ups by doing a whole lot of things right. But that's not how it works. The truth is it doesn't really matter how many good deeds or good works you do. And good works are a good thing. Hopefully, you're not going out just trying to do bad. (laughs) Hopefully, you're striving to do whatever good that you can. It's important that we do as much good as we can do. But you could be the most charitable person in the world. You can give out a car. You have a car. You have a car. You have a car. I'm being a little facetious right now. But... Um, you could be the most charitable person in the world, and it would get you nowhere toward, toward earning the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, for by, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The point I'm making is there's nothing we can personally do to earn more of it. And it really hurts when I kind of think about this in a little bit of context, but the murderer, the thief, the liar, the adulterer, the latest criminal to hit the bayonet this morning, every sinner, that means you and that means me, has both been given the same grace in that we don't deserve it. And I mentioned grace is free. It's freely given from God. And again, it's not because we deserve it. What we deserve is death. We deserve to be placed on our own cross. We deserve to die for our sins. The reason grace is free, though, is because the God we serve is a gracious God. He extends grace freely as part of his loving nature. He loves us so much that every time we mess up, he's there to extend grace. Not because, again, we deserve it. Wednesday night, I I talked a little bit about how light was part of the nature of God. You can't separate the two. Well, so is love. You can't separate God and love. The Bible says God is love, which also means you can't separate him from grace. That grace is an extension of his love toward us. Too many people live in fear that they teeter on the edge of a cliff with a vengeful God waiting to see them fall off the edge with every mistake that they make. How many have ever tried to walk around eggshells around somebody? Because you know the littlest thing will set them off. And you're like, hmm. Sometimes we go to God with that same approach where we walk on eggshells because we're afraid he's just going to turn his wrath upon us. It's a real problem. It's a real perspective people, good people have, especially people that are first coming to the Lord. That's a struggle that a lot of people face. But we all need to understand how much God loves us. That's the reason why he extends his grace. 
That's the reason why we need his grace, because he loves us. I think one of, if not the easiest place to see the grace of God is in the fact that he's willing to forgive us. We all need forgiveness in our lives. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As long as we meet the conditions to receive forgiveness, right, if we're truly repentant, if we've got a contrite heart, I love that prayer by David, creating me a clean heart, oh God. If we come to God with that type of mentality, that type of perspective, we have the promise that he'll extend grace to us. Is anybody thankful for that this morning? Amen. Amen? Anybody thankful that it's not a one-time deal? You don't have to do it one time, but every time you come to God with that mentality, his grace is extended to us. Every time I come to God repentant over and over, he's faithful to forgive. The part I'm really thankful about, though, is that God's forgiveness, and this is something that stood out to me as I was working on this lesson, a lot of times we as humans, we try to understand everything. We try to put everything in perspective that makes things easy to understand. But God's forgiveness is beyond our understanding. We don't have to understand the how and why God doesn't, you know, fret about when I make a mistake. All we have to understand is his faithfulness. All we have to understand is how much he loves us. Don't try to look at the intricacies of why God is doing what he's doing because that's a road that you can get spun out and turned around in all kind of directions if we start going down that path. God's forgiveness is beyond our understanding. On top of that, his forgiveness is absolute. You don't have to question if he's forgiven you. You don't have to wonder if, well, maybe I didn't pray it right this time, so I'm going to ask for it again. No, you just have to trust and believe his word is true. There's no changing or undoing when God forgives you. You can't undo the forgiveness of God. God's not going to see you one day and say, well, I take it back. That time you lied, I'm going to take it back. No, the Bible doesn't, says, doesn't say that he does that. You can't change or undo the forgiveness of God. You know what? I don't know why he keeps giving me chance after chance, after chance, after chance, after chance, and after chance. But is anybody grateful that he does? I'm glad I don't have to be perfect in all my ways. What would it look like? What would your life look like had God not given you a second chance? What would it look like if he didn't give you a fifth chance? What would it look like if he didn't give you a hundredth chance? Because I know I've needed a hundred and a hundred and one. Tell me that the grace of God is not limited. It's not. The grace of God is limitless. If it wasn't so, I would have hit my limit a long time ago. I would have hit my quota. That gas tank would have said E a year into my walk with God because I would have hit the limit of the grace that he has for me. But the grace of God is, lim is limitless, not limited. I'm sorry. The grace of God is limitless. Consider this. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, My little children... These things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins 
of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, that we know him if we keep his commandments. I want you to think about what it says there in verse 2. If you can go back for me, Brad. It says, for the sins of the whole world. God's grace is enough to cover all the sin in the world. Every injustice, every wrong, every sin that's been committed today, God's grace is enough to cover it all. But not just that, not just today, but every sin that's ever been committed, going all the way back to Adam in the garden when the first sin was done. Think about that. That is a lot of grace. That's a multitude, a ton of grace. We can't even measure it. I don't know about you, I can't measure the grace of God in my own life, but imagine you multiply it by some 15, 20, 30 billion people. The grace of God is unlimited. It's enough to cover every sin. So is anybody thankful for the grace of God this morning? Tell your neighbor, we need grace. And so my topic is grace and forgiveness. So I hit the grace part, but now I want to try to transition a little bit here and maybe turn our focus inward. Since the Lord is so willing to give grace to anyone who seeks him for forgiveness in sincerity and truth, we should know and understand that it's his expectation that we also pass along the grace that he gives to us to other people. Here's the kicker, though. And this is the part where it gets difficult. We're supposed to extend grace even if we think that person don't deserve it. This is where it gets real. This is often where we draw the line in the sand and we refuse to cross it. When someone we know doesn't deserve a second chance, we're supposed to extend that second chance to them. The Bible talks about how we need to be intentional about forgiving people, especially if they don't deserve it. We must learn to extend grace and forgive. So let's turn our attention to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. We know this son would be Mephibosheth, who would get a seat at the king's table. Many of us know the story of David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. We know that David was a giant killer. He killed Goliath. We know he was a worshiper. He played the harp. He worshiped God. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the kingdom, every single few steps that David took, he stopped and worshiped the Lord with all his might. And now he is the king. He's a great king. But one characteristic that made David a man after God's own heart was his ability to forgive. During this particular part of the story, David has now become king. 
He has the ability to say whatever he wants, and the whole kingdom will bow down to his authority. Now that he's finally king of Israel, he can do whatever he wants. He can make any decision that he really wants to make. And we understand his journey to become king, it wasn't easy. On many, many occasions, King Saul, the first king of Israel, tried to kill him. And he nearly did a whole bunch of times. But of all people, David had every right to end Saul's bloodline. God said that he would raise up a king in Israel. David is next in line. He's anointed of God to be king. Saul disobeyed. Now Saul is on the way out. And if anything, David has every right to end the bloodline of the person who was trying to kill him. He had every right to end that, that bloodline of Saul that God already had cut off. And so he had personal reasons to end this bloodline, but he also had political ones as well. If he were to leave Saul's bloodline alive, that person may rise to be king later on down the line. Everybody knows how this works, right? If you're a prince, you're next in line to become king. And so you can imagine David has all this political pressure to end every single person who's connected to Saul in his family. Because if not, who knows, 10 years, 20 years down the line, another person may try to become a threat to David's kingdom. Saul's family was a threat. Later on in Scripture, there would be people, followers of Saul, that would become a thorn in David's side. But now that David's in this place, he's in this place where his next decision determines a lot of things. The Bible says that he has all the power and he could have spoken the word. He could have casted judgment and ended Saul's line once and for all. But the Bible says he extended grace. He shows kindness to the house of Saul. Let me ask you a rhetorical, rhetorical question this morning. Why is extending forgiveness instead of casting judgment on someone so important? Why do we feel like we have to make a certain decision one way or the other? The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. But I guess flip that question, what would your life look like today if someone cast a judgment on you instead of extending the forgiveness of God out to you? Is there a fine line between extending forgiveness and judgment? Where do we draw the line at? Where do we say, mm, I'm going to give them a second chance here, but if they do it again, I won't give them a second chance there? Do we allow bitterness to overtake us in moments like this? And what effect does that have on us? You can imagine David was probably bitter. He spent a lot of his time. His family was on the run from Saul. Now, here he is on the other end of the spectrum, and he could have treated them the same way that he was treated. But the Bible says he extended grace. What would you have done in that moment? Would you have ended the threat to you, or would you have extended kindness? What do you do in that moment? When someone messes with you, do you extend judgment? Do you cut them off so it never happens again, or do you give forgiveness? Would you have held on to all those past heartaches? Are you holding on to those past heartaches, or are you forgiving? What does holding on to those past grudges do to us? Have you ever felt changed when you don't forgive? You feel something in your spirit that doesn't sit right, sits heavy on you. 
Sister Bush one time was praying, and I remember I did something. It was, no, it was Mother Brown. I'm sorry. Mother Brown, I did something. And one of my friends, I wasn't willing to forgive him. And Mother Brown said, you better make that right. And I remember sitting that whole service with my hands in my arms, and I didn't feel right. And after service, she said, did you, did you go make it right? And I had to. Or else I wouldn't, my spirit would have been heavy the whole night. But I want to do a little contrast. Let's look at Saul now. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now we look at Saul. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul have slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? Have you got, let me stop right there for a second. Have you guys ever gotten jealous? So jealous that your perspective starts to change. Here we have some, if you look into the story, here we have some young women. Maybe there's some, 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 some youth, right? They're dancing in the streets because David has killed Goliath. And now they're singing this song. David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has only killed thousands. Saul let his jealousy in his mind get to the point where he thinks already the nation is going to already turn over the kingdom to David. David's won one battle. He's killed a giant. And Saul has already positioned in his mind, in his jealousy, he's already thought the thought that the kingdom of Israel is already going to turn over to David and just forget about him. And verse 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. So in this scripture passage, we find Saul to the point of trying to kill David out of jealousy. If we ever allow selfishness, jealousy, anger, and bitterness to impede our judgment, we'll lose sight of what our purpose is. Here we have a king. King could have done anything he wanted, but he allowed one act of jealousy to transform his whole demeanor. Isn't that how it works? When someone does you wrong, you get anger, you get bitter. You start getting jealous, and you start saying all kinds of stuff. This person, how many have ever taken it a little too far? Maybe you haven't said it, but in your mind, you start going two, three, four. I'm going to wait till this person gets right here. And if he looks at me one time, if he looks at me the wrong way, I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna to lay him out. This is similar to what Saul has done here. The key is we must hold loosely to the tools, the talents, and abilities that we've been given, so we don't let them to become pawns of competition. We don't start saying, ooh, this person is getting more blessed than I'm getting blessed. That's really where we start getting jealous. We see God doing something in somebody else's life versus something in our life. And we must not allow our attitude to take over and change those talents God's given us into destructive weapons. 
We have to be spiritually mature and grow up from being jealous of another person's anointing. Say that one more time. We must grow up and not be jealous of another person's anointing. If they've gained success from something they've worked hard at, what we should do is celebrate with them. We shouldn't condemn them. If we're not careful, jealousy can lead to us transforming our skills and talents into weapons of mass destruction. That's why it's important we learn, we learn to give grace and extend forgiveness. We have to learn to be gracious. A lot of times when we get bitter, the person we're bitter at, they don't even know we're bitter at them. Because a lot of times we've let that little something, like Saul, these girls were dancing in the street, singing and praising David, and he let the thought that they like him more than him, he let that thought transform into now he's on thinking about killing David. David has no idea. He has no idea of what Saul is thinking in his mind until I'm sure that javelin was thrown at him, not once but twice. I tell you, if I was David and the first time the javelin was thrown at me, there won't be no second time. But David, he probably doesn't even know Saul is jealous at him. And I wish I could tell you this morning that it's easy to forgive someone, that it's easy not to get bitter at someone, but we're human. I can't control how you feel. You can't control how I feel. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to let go when you're the one hurt. The more we hold on to the hurt, though, the less effective we become as men and women of God. Turn our attention to Matthew chapter 18, 21 and 22 are the verses. This is our opening text. Peter is asking Jesus, Lord, if someone sins against me, if someone does me wrong, how many times shall I forgive him? Seven times? Peter's idea of forgiving seven times compared to Jesus' response in the next verse of forgiving 490 times, there's a huge difference. How many is willing to forgive once? Maybe forgive twice. Maybe you'll forgive them a third time, right? But how about the seventh time? Does it get easier or harder? How about 490 times? It's hard. Some of you may know a person, don't look at them, who's wronged you 490 times. I hope you don't know a person that has wronged you. You need to sit down and have a discussion with that person and say, listen, the first seven times, this is what you did. I don't want it to extend to 490. Please have that discussion as soon as you can. Because it hurts when you get wronged. It hurts to be continually put in that position. But the point of Jesus' response here is that we have to continually extend forgiveness. It's not really about the number. It's about the heart. It's about extending forgiveness as much as we can. The best part about this parable is that God expects us to understand that this forgiveness works both ways. If we make a mistake, those who are living their lives according to the principle of God's word, they should, I say should, have a forgiving attitude towards us. It's important for us in the church to be forgiving 
to others that are also part of the body. Or else we wouldn't be able to grow. Or else we get to a point where we stagnate. If you have brothers and sisters walking with you in the Lord, we should have a forgiving attitude towards them. But more importantly, if God expects us to forgive a person repeatedly, that means he is also willing to forgive us every time we make a mistake. Aren't you glad God didn't stop at your 490th time you made a mistake, right? The only requirement for us is that we avoid intentional, premeditated sin. It doesn't work if you just continue to do it and say, God, I'm sorry. My kids are learning that right now. God, I'm, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't work if you just keep saying, I'm sorry. No, your heart's got to be right. You got to make that 180, that repentant turn away from sin. Then he's faithful and just to forgive you. So we need to, one, show mercy to others who offend us. We must remember that forgiveness should be given to everyone regardless of their ability to prove that they deserve it. We do not forgive because the person deserves forgiveness. That's not the reason why you're commanded to forgive them in the first place. Because the question is, do you deserve forgiveness? Do you deserve to be forgiven when you made a mistake? So we don't forgive because that person deserves forgiveness, but because God asked us to forgive others just as he forgives us. And it's important that we lead by example. Tell your neighbor, lead by example. Tell them, I forgive you. Tell your other neighbor, I forgive you. Now, please, neighbor that they talk to, don't, get, don't let it get to seven times that you just say, I forgive you. Don't, don't, don't let that period, don't let that thing extend, Okay. As the body of Christ, yes, we're supposed to forgive, and we should forgive. But we should be able to take the first step in extending forgiveness. How many say, you know what, I ain't forgiving them until they say something to me first? How many of y'all? Anybody? Any, anybody? I see a couple hands go up immediately. I know as, as husband, I don't like saying I told you so. Well, I do. Let me take it back. I do like saying I told you so. The Lord is working with me on that one. But if I'm wrong, a lot of times, help me, Lord, right now. A lot of times, I, I wait for my wife to say, well, you're wrong. And then once I realize I'm wrong, I'm like, okay, baby, I am wrong. Will you forgive me? But why do I wait? Husbands, why do we wait? Why don't we just come out and say, you know what, I was wrong when we know we're wrong. A lot of times we don't want to be known, we don't want it to know that we're wrong, so we just let it go. We just let it continue. We let, it, we let the process unfold until it gets to that point where we say, all right, enough is enough. Why don't we just take the first step? How hard is it to take a first step? Is it hard? Is it difficult? Is it hard when you know you're the one in the wrong and you got to make it right? It is very hard. But we, we should not allow ourselves to withhold forgiveness out of spite or jealousy. Forgiveness also honors the work that God has done in our own lives. C.S. Lewis, very famous, influential writer, said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. 
And also forgiveness is necessary if you want to move forward in your life. Not just with God, but in your life. I mean, we live in a world where it's hard for people to forgive. I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about everywhere. And a lot of people, that act of forgiveness plays such a huge role in their life. People can hold on to bitterness, which is what that becomes. God talks about a root of bitterness. We can hold on to that thing that it starts to shape us. It starts to devolve into our interactions with other people. Because one person hurt us, we take that same approach to the next person. And that's not even like within the realm of what we should do. But if you get hurt by someone and you don't want that process to repeat itself, the next person already starts off on the wrong foot because we're approaching them with a thought already in our mind. We're doing the thing that Saul did to David where we already have made up in our mind that that person's already got it out for me. We got to learn to move beyond that. We have to learn to forgive. And so it's important to forgive those who have wronged us. And it's also important that we don't execute judgment to those that we think deserve it. Because God could execute judgment on us, but he doesn't. He extends grace. Have you ever been in a situation where you were able to grant forgiveness to someone? And how did it make you feel when you extended forgiveness to them? Was there a weight lifted? Was that relationship mended? Was that interaction between you two much better because you went with the, with the mindset of forgiveness versus the mindset of judgment? Have you ever been forgiven of something you were guilty of? And how did it make you feel when you knew what you should have got, you didn't. That's what grace is. When you get more than you deserve, that's what you should have got. You should have got the ax. You should have got in trouble. You should have got a jail sentence even. I'm talking in generality this morning, but there is something about being forgiven of something we already know that we're guilty of. And so I want to transition into another kind of point this morning about how we don't let the grace of God we don't allow the blessings to be turned into a curse. The verse we read in our opening passage, Matthew 18, 23 to 27, says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife to be sold, his children to be sold. All that he had was to be sold and payment was to be made for that debt. And it says in verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. If We look at verse 23. There's a lot of parallels with this. Jesus is speaking. He says the kingdom of heaven. When we think about our own walk with God, the Bible says, Jesus says, there was a certain king. And we can relate that king with God. Verse 24, the servant, we can take that servant and put ourselves in his shoes. And in this particular story, if you're the servant, you owe 10,000 talents, which for us is actually a lot more than what we may think is $10,000. Modern estimates vary drastically, but... This servant 
if you were in his place, you would have owed anywhere from $4 million to several billion dollars. That's how much the debt had grown to for this servant. Possibly due to the fact we're not told if it was talents of gold, talents of silver. A talent in this time was a measure of weight. So it's enough to explain that this servant here, the debt that he had was more than one person could ever hope to earn in their lifetime. That's how big his debt had grown. And if we compare it to the debt we pay with God, we can never be good enough to earn our own salvation. We can never be good enough to deserve the grace of God, as I'm talking here. In verse 25, it says how this servant, he couldn't pay this debt. And who could? Anybody got $4 million stashed somewhere? If you do, there's a Henderson fund. You can pour it into the Henderson fund this morning. And uh, maybe it'll, it'll be put to something that will bless my, my home and house. Uh, but it says in verse 25, this servant couldn't pay the debt. And who could? Who could pay a debt like that? And what it's implying here is that this servant was totally bankrupt. And so verse 26, the servant's response, it says the servant fell down and worshiped him. How many know that's the same response we have to God? We first repent and then we worship him. And we know that's necessary for us to receive the Holy Ghost. So notice this story is using practical terms to discuss a spiritual reality. In verse 27, here's the response of God, just like the response of this Lord of the servant. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. How many times has the response of God for us been compassion every time we repent and worship the Lord? which is just what the king does in this parable. God, like the king, forgives our debt and sets us free. Do you remember the first time you got the Holy Ghost? Anybody? I remember I was 12 at youth camp, junior youth camp, actually. But I remember this feeling of being overwhelmed with the grace of God because here God is, moving and working on the inside of me, and I know I don't deserve it. I think I had a bad summer up to that point. I was bad. I knew I wasn't living right. But God still blessed me with the Holy Ghost. He still filled me. He still forgave me of my sins. And just like the king, God does it. But after receiving this wonderful gift from the king, forgiveness of a debt he would never be able to pay, the servant in the parable then has the opportunity to pass that same kind of grace to someone who owes him. And so if you read the rest of the scripture, in verse 28, the servant that now owes him, owed him 100 pence. 100 pence is a lot more easy to quantify when you look at scripture. A pence or a denarii was equivalent to about one day's labor. That's all that a pence was. And so since he owed 100 pence, you can estimate that about a third of what this servant made a year, that's how much he owed to the man that the king forgave. Perhaps $10,000, $15,000, something around what we could equate to a third of our salary today. The idea, though, is that this debt could have been paid off. Remember the first servant, he owed a billion plus dollars. There's no way he could pay it off. But now we have this fellow servant of his 
who has a debt that he could pay off if this servant would allow for patience. But verse 30, all the servant had asked for the king was time to pay, and he was given forgiveness of his entire debt. When he had the opportunity to extend the same amount of grace, this servant refuses and has the one who owes him such a smaller amount of money cast into prison. In verse 33, notice the expectation of God to us. Since we received grace, we should pass along that grace to others. If we don't, the Bible says God will pull it all away, take it all back. Verse 34, the king rescinded his forgiveness of the servant's debt and gave him the same fate that he had given to his fellow servant. Verse 35 of that story, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother that their trespasses. So when people in our lives ask for forgiveness, what should be our response? We should forgive, especially because God has forgiven us. Be responsible for your reaction to those who offend you. Be responsible. Choose not to allow it to make you angry to the point where you sin. Choose not to allow it to control your actions. Remember, Saul could have chosen to bless David instead of curse and eventually hunt David. If you find yourself withholding forgiveness to someone, you need to ask the Lord to help you. There's something wrong in the heart there. Because, again, if the shoe was on the other foot and God hadn't forgiven you, how would you look in in God's eyes? Remember, though, you're not perfect. You need forgiveness, too. There will be times in your life where you'll need forgiveness. You'll need someone else to forgive you. And if you're going around withholding the ability to forgive others, how are you going to feel when that same person now, you need them to forgive you? You're not perfect. It's imperative we don't allow ourselves to think that we got it all together, that we justify not forgiving those around us. We must be willing to admit when we're wrong. When the word of God confronts us about a sin in our lives, the proper response is to hit our knees and ask the Lord to forgive us. Don't forget we need to seek the forgiveness of God. Even though there are things we need to forgive each other for, we must be aware that we can't offend God and break his laws, and we need his forgiveness as well. The Bible talks about if we pray, you need to first stop what you're doing and go and make it right with your brother first, and then bring your petition back to God. It's important that our hearts are right when when we talk about extending grace and forgiveness to other people. While in prayer, we need to make it a habit to talk to God about any way we not only have hurt him, but about if we've hurt someone else. A lot of times we hurt people without even thinking about it, without even knowing that we hurt them, right? Just like Saul, people's feelings, people's emotions can be fragile. Um, And so I hate to say give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but spiritually speaking, we need to extend grace to others continually. Continually, I say continually. As I close this morning, I have a verse that kind of echoes this, but we can stand to our feet. Colossians chapter 4, 
in verse 6. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. When we had hyphen class, I asked this question. Do you put salt on your food before you taste it or after you taste it? Where's all my folks that do it afterwards? All right. Where's all my folks that you put salt on it no matter what, before, after? When you see it, you put your salt on it. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Because you just, you want it to be salty anyway. That's, that's why you do it. But the Bible says, let our speech always be seasoned with that salt of grace. Why is that? I talked about giving the benefit of the doubt. But really, it's, it's that our heart is already prepared to extend grace, even before that person may or may not need it. Even if the, salt, even if the food needs salt or don't need salt, we're prepared. We got that salt shaker ready. But even if that person needs grace or doesn't need grace, we're already prepared and willing to extend it anyhow. How many want to live that way? How many want to extend grace? Or how many wanted grace extended to you? Whether you need it or you don't need it, I would love for someone to come to me already extending it. And the Bible says that's what we should do. And so as I end this, this lesson this morning on grace and forgiveness, I want to pray that prayer into our spirits this morning. So bow your head and pray with me about extending grace. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, God. God, I thank you, Lord, that Every time, God, I come to you, God, repentant of my sins, Lord, God, you're faithful and just to forgive me, God. Whether it's been seven times, Lord, or 490 times, God, that I've made a mistake, God, every time you've been there, God, with grace and you've forgiven me, Lord, I pray you would help us, God. God, you've been so good to us, God, it would be a shame for us not to extend grace to those around us, Lord. God, I pray, help us to season our words, God, season our actions, God with that salt of grace, Lord. Help us, God, today when we meet that person, God, that does us wrong, we'll be there, oh God, to extend grace. Tomorrow when we meet that person, Lord, that does us wrong, we'll be there to extend grace, Lord. I pray, help us to grow in you, God. Help us to be more and more like you every single day and just like you extend grace to us, God. Help us extend and forgive those around us. God, I pray it in your precious name of Jesus. And everyone would say amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, she's